Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, we're kicking off our Paycheck to Paycheck series looking at how folks here in Georgia and the Atlanta region are, or maybe not, making ends meet. I'll be joined by Robert Lerman from the Urban Institute and Professor Salani Vistani from Emory University for a discussion on how and why households are living paycheck to paycheck. Plus, we'll look at the ongoing war in Ukraine through the eyes of Ukrainians living right here in Atlanta. Those conversations are just ahead, but first this. Speaking of Ukraine, Georgia U.S. Senator John Ossoff says he is worried the Russian invasion of of Ukraine will have far-reaching effects across Eastern Europe. He spoke with WABE over the weekend. Many Ukrainians uh, have been and will be killed, maimed, dispossessed, displaced uh, by this military assault. Um, And this invasion also poses a risk uh, of broader conflict, uh, as well as of a refugee crisis in Eastern Europe. Senator Ossoff says he's meeting today with Biden administration officials, including the Joint Chiefs of Staff and Secretaries of State and defense. In other news, state lawmakers are looking to strengthening Georgia laws on lead exposure in children. As Molly Samuel reports, the state lags behind federal guidelines on when to trigger an investigation. Kids who are exposed to lead can end up with lifelong challenges. It affects their brains and nervous systems and can cause learning and behavior issues. The CDC recommends that if a child has high enough levels in their blood, that there be a follow-up to find and remove sources of lead in their homes, for instance. Georgia has a law like that, but it's at a much higher threshold than the CDC guideline. State Representative Katie Dempsey, a Republican from Rome, says that means there's kids with lead levels in their blood who may need that follow-up, but who aren't getting it. So missing a population of children that have been exposed is our challenge right now. This also prevents the state from pursuing enforcement against landlords until the blood level reaches this level. Dempsey is sponsoring a bill that would bring Georgia in line with the federal guidelines. Kids can be exposed from lead paint in old houses, from old pipes, and if it's collected in the ground where they play. Dempsey pointed out a Superfund site just down the road from the state capitol, where so much lead has been found in people's yards that the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is removing and replacing their soil. Pervasive problems exist. Dempsey's bill passed out of committee. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is also working on its approach to lead, developing a plan to reduce kids' exposures and to find and work with communities that are affected by high lead levels. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And finally, Atlanta United is off to a good start. The team started its Major League Soccer season Sunday with a 3-1 victory over Sporting Kansas City. Joseph Martinez had two assists in the game for Atlanta. And 17-year-old Caleb Wiley, congratulations, scored in the 89th minute during his first ever game with the five stripes. Long ball through. It's Caleb Wiley around away from him. He gets the touch and it's Way to go. A crowd of more than 67,000 fans packed Mercedes-Benz Stadium to watch the win. Atlanta United travels to Colorado for a match against the Rapids on Saturday evening. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. 
The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And you're listening to Closer Look from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. It's the end of the month, and for millions of households, it means time to get ready to pay for next month's expenses. The mortgage, the rent, car note, utilities, internet, groceries, and a whole lot more. Of course, every household is different, as we found out when our Closer Look producers started asking, do you live paycheck to paycheck? It's difficult trying to get out of the dependent stuff especially with COVID being a thing, it's a lot harder to find a job sometimes. And I'm currently sticking around like three separate jobs and just juggling them. And that plus college makes it difficult sometimes. I go to college five days a week. And then finding time to work is also a big factor in it. That makes it the most difficult, I think. When you um, start budgeting for your food and other necessities and utilities, and try to um, take out just to get some enjoyment from your paycheck, you still end up living paycheck to paycheck. Well, I'm living, I think, a life where I've been very, we've been deliberate, our family, about um, cutting expenses and just kind of living below our means so that we have somewhat of a cushion. And voices from folks we spoke with about the financial challenges of managing a household. And you'll hear more from folks like you as Closer Look relaunches Paycheck to Paycheck. And this is an ongoing series that will identify, analyze, and curate conversations regarding how Georgians, and especially within the surrounding 13 county regions, how you all are living based on your household's respective income. Robert Lerman is an Institute Fellow with the Urban Institute Center on Labor Human Services, as well as a retired professor of economics at American University and a research fellow at IZA in Bonn, Germany. And he has published his published research covers a lot from employment issues, earnings and income inequality, family structure, income support and youth development, especially as they affect low income populations. So we are very honored to have him help help kick us help kick off this series. Thank you so much. You're a retired professor, but I still refer to you as Professor Lerman. Thank you so much for taking the time. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Nice to see you, Rose. You know, before we dig into how and why Americans may be living paycheck to paycheck, I want to talk about sort of the opposite, which is financial security. And when we talk about that, Professor, what are those metrics you use to define financial security or what it should be? Well, uh, most people accumulate uh, savings uh, through uh, home ownership and pensions, and they need some money for uh, contingencies that arise. So financial security would usually mean that they have savings, a uh, few, you know, several months uh, of income, mm-hmm. at least, and that uh, they're accumulating uh, uh, wealth and assets over, over time. You know, though there was a recent survey called New Reality Check that revealed at the end of 2021, 61% of the U.S. population indicated they were living paycheck to paycheck. First question, I guess that's not surprising to you, or is it somewhat? 61%. Uh, yeah, it's uh, unfortunate, not, not that surprising. Um, you know, we've we've had a uh, big uh, stress on the economy with the closing of the economy in early 2020 and then recovery. Uh, we've recovered almost all the jobs, but uh, it's still a problem for many, many households. Also, we had a very big government spending burst uh, in 2020, uh, extending into 2021. But that's largely uh, expired. Um, and so uh, we're going to go back to the regular economy uh, and uh, ideally uh, help people 
uh, do well over over time. When you say regular economy, someone listening may say, well, it's been two years. We're now into this pandemic. And for some folks, it's like, what does the regular economy even look like anymore? Take that a little bit further when you talk about the regular economy. What should that indicate for 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 Americans, for most households? Well, of course, households vary dramatically uh, by a whole range of indicators. Mm -hmm. Marital status, for example. uh, So married couples are in one situation. Uh, Single parents have another situation. Single individuals, still another one. So there's there's a lot of variability. Uh, There's variability by education. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, but, uh, you know, the labor market has responded pretty well uh, and unemployment rates are down. We haven't returned to the share of people working that Mm -hmm. we had just before the pandemic. So we're still, let's say a percentage point down from that. A percentage point is, you know, millions of people. So um, the the issue now is going back to our, sort of our structural issues. That is, uh, are we uh, training people well? Are people going into good careers? Mm-hmm. Um, are they saving appropriately? Uh, and, um, you know, there have been some additional stresses this year with the rise in home prices. Now, for homeowners, they're sort of shielded because they already own a home. Mm-hmm. But for people who are not yet in their first home, uh, that becomes a problem. You mentioned the various households and how it changes. I'm glad you mentioned that because in that survey that I just referenced, which was from Payments.com, and Lending Club, it found that consumers in all income brackets say they live paycheck to paycheck. And I want to give our listeners an example. 42% of those participants that were making more than $100,000 a year said they live paycheck to paycheck as well. Well, that's that's a bit disturbing. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you that, yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard to know exactly what is meant by paycheck to paycheck. Uh, of course, people at high income levels have high commitments, mm-hmm. so they they have a higher mortgage payment, for example. Um, but um, you know, ideally, as your income goes up, you should be able to uh, put some away for savings and to accumulate uh, some assets that you can draw upon. Well, and we should note too. I mean. A household where the income is $100,000 a year, if it's just one person, or if you have four kids, maybe it's a multi-generational household as well. So you're right in the sense that, you know, it depends on the circumstance of the household. Well, let me ask you this then. When you reflect on the current state of the nation's economy versus two years ago, pre-pandemic, some economists have said, you know what, we fared okay as a nation Others would say maybe as a nation, but when you get into subpopulations based on race and income and even rural and urban, you're going to have a whole different set of circumstances. And you ask those folks how they're doing, they're going to say, you know what, this has probably been very, very tough post-pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, in the, the month before the pandemic uh, exerted very big economic changes was February uh, 2020. Um, And as of late 2019, if you look at people's incomes in 2019, there were there had been healthy income growth uh, all around. Uh, Unemployment rates were way down below 4%, uh, including for African Americans and Hispanic uh, workers. And we made the decision to close big parts of the economy mm-hmm. and we lost 25 million jobs in one month. I mean, that's an unprecedented number. Uh, it took, uh, even till now, the share of people employed is still not quite back to where it was. So I would say that although lots of money was pumped into the economy, some done efficiently, some done more or less fairly, others you know, more difficult. But remember, uh, you know, when you're trying to do something quickly, uh, you're bound to not 
be as well targeted and uh, well efficient as you might be. Nonetheless, I mean, uh, actually, personally, the disposable income for families, uh, oddly enough, went up during the pandemic. I was shocked to see that. But that's because of uh, the tax credits and the high unemployment uh, rate, uh, unemployment insurance benefits. So uh, there was a lot pumped in, and now people are weaning off of that. Um, and have had to wean off of it. So uh, the economy is still somewhat struggling. We've have, we have the over, Omicron that has left people not doing quite as much traveling mm -hmm. and eating out and that sort of thing. So uh, we, we, we aren't back to fully normal yet. We've heard so many times, and, and I know because we've talked about it on this on this very program, people talking about how the pandemic has highlighted or pulled the covers off of or amplified the inequities that exist in so many sectors. But through your lens, what has the pandemic revealed about the income inequality gaps? I mean, it shouldn't have been surprising to people, but, you know, Professor Lerman, it was for some folks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I follow it pretty closely, so it wasn't uh, as surprising for me. But I would say that a big chunk of the uh Government, federal government response was toward people who became unemployed. Also, the tax credits covered every individual at the same, with the same amount. So that's inequality reducing. Um, the payroll protection plan probably was less progressive. It was definitely less progressive. It saved some jobs, but uh, that money could have been done, uh, handled more uh, efficiently and equitably. Although, again, uh, you know, you're trying to do something very quickly. Um, and so uh, we do had, we did have uh, some special problems uh, with the rent increases. But again, uh, there was efforts to, to protect renters. Um, and without those, uh, we would have had a much more severe impacts, especially on lower income folks. I want to welcome into the conversation before we say goodbye to Robert Lerman. I want to welcome Dr. Solani Vistani, who's a professor of marketing at Emory University. And she has a focus on pricing strategy and innovation management, as well as research and how buyers consciously and subconsciously process price information and how they make purchase decisions. Because I want to bring her in. I want to get both of you to answer a couple of questions. So, Professor, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. No, stay with us, Professor Lerman. I got one more question oh. for you. <laughs> okay, but I want to I want to welcome uh, Pro Professor Solani Vistani if she's ready into the conversation. I'm happy to be here, Rose. Excited. Uh, thank uh, to you. Be here. I appreciate it. Here's a question for both of you before we let uh, Robert Lerman go, and I'll start with you, sir. When we talk about folks living paycheck to paycheck, and we know that perhaps it takes a holistic approach, and every household is different. But from a federal, from a government standpoint, what are you hopeful that can come out of this inflation that will help people be able to meet those those expenses in between paychecks? What would be at the top of that list, Mr. Lerman? Oh, boy. Well, uh, budgeting, I guess. Yeah, uh, because uh, the uh, the inflation is a difficult problem and we are going to have to deal with it. I'm hoping that the economy doesn't suffer a lot of pain in the effort to reduce inflation. But, um, you know, I would say that the things that, that makes it make sense to people mm -hmm. uh, have a budget, um, try to, you know, limit some discretionary expenses during tough times. And, um, you know, try to keep credit card purchases down. If, if you do have a credit card, pay it off as quickly as possible. Uh, so these are just basic things that you would always do. Uh, it's more important now because prices are rising and you'll see some unexpected uh, costs in uh, the supermarket and certainly at the gas tank. That's interesting because I have a, a listener who just sent an email saying, Rose, it is hard to save money when you are in debt 
and I, perhaps uh, we all can agree with that. Uh, Dr. Vistani, through your lens, when you talk about folks being able to rebound, so to speak, now that we're in an inflation, what, what advice would you give? Sure, I agree with what um, Dr. Lerner just mentioned. Uh, budgeting would be definitely one of them. Um, in addition to that, you know, there is um, coming from a marketing lens, I feel like there is ways to make things last longer um, by taking good care of them or being just very conscious consumers. Um, uh, you know, when you have a big bottle of ketchup, you tend to use more of it. Um, <laughs> Especially if you right? have kids. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, you have, you squeeze it. But when you are down to like a small little bit, you're very conscious of you use it. And you can say the same with like a toilet paper or paper towels. So just being very conscious of consumption um, as, so that you don't have to buy things as often and still can have a good quality of life. Um, uh, we've also started in our household um, a day for leftovers. So we're consuming everything that we cook and buy. Um, and we've also started a day where we uh, look at what we have in the fridge and cook from there. Um, you know, similar to the way they're doing uh, the season called Chopped, where you are just, you know, making recipes from what is there. So being much more conscious in your consumption. Gotcha. In addition. Dr. Rastani, stay with us because you're going to be with us on the other side of this break. But I do want to take the time to thank Robert Lerman, who's an Institute Fellow with the Urban Institute Center on Labor Human Services, as well as retired professor of economics at American University. Thank you so much, Professor, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We appreciate the little time that you could give us. And coming up next, we'll continue. No, thank you. Coming up next, we'll continue part one of this series with an examination of consumer spending and habits and how all of that relates to making those difficult decisions between paychecks. We're back in a moment. And Closer Look continues from WABE, Amplifying Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Earlier, we told you about a survey, New Reality Check, Paycheck to Paycheck. And then we found another survey, a recent survey, that revealed seven in 10 Americans say they're living paycheck to paycheck at this moment. And that moment, when the survey was conducted, was back in November by one poll. And then there was this, 63% said they didn't feel they would ever reach some level of financial security. So combine all of that with other reasons why folks prioritize expenses to make ends meet in between payroll checks. Well, all that can have a direct influence on consumer spending. So we'll continue Closer Looks Paycheck to Paycheck series with Dr. Solani Vistani, who's a professor of marketing at Emory University. And Professor, let's begin with defining consumer spending. I know there are a lot of specific metrics or even categories that fall under that. But for our listeners, sort of define when we talk about consumer spending. What are we talking about here? Uh, we're talking about uh, everything that people buy, right? From gasoline to home improvement, groceries, rent, uh, dining out, uh, some of the e- equipment purchases like exercise equipment, electronics. Um, we're also including in this uh, hospitality spending, you know, some of the airfare and travel ex- um, spending that people do. You know, closer look, and and we were not scientific in any, but we had our own little survey and poll, which folks can still take online at wabe.org slash paycheck. And we asked folks about if they ever had to make a decision about their health or the health of someone in their household based on their finances. We had folks say they have not been to the dentist in seven years. They've delayed medical care. They've had to make decisions to put off care for the adults, but always care for the kids no matter what. And when you hear something like that, does that is that I'm sure that's not lost on you for folks who say it's because I'm living paycheck to paycheck. No, that's um, I've heard that, too. And it breaks my heart to hear and people are postponing their care um, because it, it, because of, of the way the situation is financially. And um, you can you know, it, it ends up being like penny wise pound foolish in some sense because you procrastinate those small things which end up becoming a bigger problem later on um, for people. Um, you know, so it's 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 definitely something that we as a society need to do better with having more access to healthcare, more have equitable public health. And the pandemic has given us much more awareness about what 
um, you know, health means for all of us together, because, you know, one person is not healthy, it kind of affects all of us. Mm -hmm. One respondent said, I've had to choose which medications to fill. I can't afford to replace broken hearing aids or have my teeth fixed. Hmm. Because that's, that's really tough times, right? And it looks like it's, um, doesn't look like it's getting better right now, but the inflation, things are just becoming more expensive uh, for people. I asked uh, Professor Lerman this, and I'm going to ask you this. Uh, through your lens, what has the pandemic revealed about income inequality from someone who studies consumer habits and spending? So, Rose, that's a very good question because, you know, what the pandemic released uh, to us was not only income inequality, but wealth inequality. Um, because it's one thing to, you know, bring in money and, 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 and live paycheck to paycheck, you know. Um, so people that, although you may not have had income, but those that had wealth, mm-hmm. um, either, either passed on to family generations or through savings, uh, were able to manage the pandemic much better um, and survive through it. Um, and that, you know, the large population that could not do that did not have the wealth um, to survive uh, in this pandemic and use their savings did really uh, poorly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and had really harder times upon them through this. What have you noticed about consumer spending habits during the pandemic? So we've changed our consumption, right? So 2021 ended up as um, on a tear with, you know, people starting to go out um, a lot more. Our GDP was up. Um, the stock market has been up. Um, we started off with um, good, uh, you know, good vaccine penetration and people started opening up till the Delta variant hit later in the summer when it uh, the spending took some um, retracting. Um, we were back again in the fall and then the Omicron kind of controlled some of the spending towards the end of the year. Um, we've seen a, seen a shift in the spending habits of consumers, Rose. Um, you know, uh, pre-pandemic, people were shopping online, but not as much as now. Um, we were not binge watching as much on Netflix and, um, uh, you know, streaming services or exercising at home on Peloton and, you know, gyms, you know, is was a regular place to go. I go to my gym now on the weekends and it's packed. So, mm-hmm. Um, I, the, the, the recent um, re- store um, data on, on retail store shopping that people are going physically in person uh, has been revived. People are wanting to go back in person to shop uh, much more than they've done previously through the pandemic. And dining out is back. Um, if you look at travel, um, domestically, travel has, is back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, in, uh, internationally though, we've seen some of, um, you know, we've not seen that come back. It's still 20 to 30% lower, um, than what it used to be pre-pandemic. Well, what have you all learned in terms of folks like you in your space? What have you all been following to learn in terms of price inf- inflation and how it's affecting people here in Georgia that might be different from the rest of the nation or similar? Yeah. So I think in Georgia, we've seen much more price inflation, right? The price inflation on an average in the nation is uh, close to seven and a half percent. But in Georgia, we've seen closer to um, nine, 10 percent inflation on an average. Um, and one of the reasons, um, you know, the three primary reasons that are driving this inflation, right? Mm-hmm. There is um, fuel costs going up, mm-hmm. um, uh, labor um, costs going up and then supply chain issues, um, which are limiting some of the supply in the market, which then increases the price and the demand for that. Um, so, you know, there's all those three factors have impacted, uh, Georgia, but what I see additionally happening in Georgia is, um, lots of people moving in here, which we love our state, you know, we love, um, Atlanta. Yeah, they're moving here. I just, I just want to know one where they working because they're moving. They're buying homes at this incredible <laughs> yeah. level, and we know about the housing market here. Not, not to 
you know, get on them. But I mean, that's great that folks are moving here. But it just when you think of the, the affordable housing issues, especially here around Georgia and around Atlanta area, just kind of makes you wonder. Uh, you know. Yes. And, you know, so many of these people are moving from the north, um, you know, I've heard people moving from California and Chicago and New York. And for them, paying an additional 20 percent on the house is not that much because that's the reference point what we call in marketing, right? The reference point that they have for an average home price is much higher in those regions than what we have here. So they are going over asking price here and, and kind of driving some of that inflation for us. Well, um, as folks who live here who have been trying to find affordable housing and if they are looking to buy, they can't counter that 20 percent, you know, over the asking price. Um, when you think about the fact that millions of women left the workforce during the pandemic, and then also we had that in addition to what they call the great resignation. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think this is more of personal attitudes about what happened during the pandemic and folks saying, you know what, I'm not going to do this job? Or do you think it has to do with inflation and, and consumer spending? And folks say, you know what, if I realized I could cut down on a lot of expenses during the pandemic, so I maybe I can leave this job and seek something else that is a little bit more passionate for me or a, or a combination of both. What do you think led to that? We know with women it could be because of child care. Not all, but we know that's a big part of it. But then it's also there's this great resignation that's still continuing. Yeah, definitely, Rose. I think that there have been different segments of the population that have made this determination of not coming back uh, for for various different reasons, right? Um, and all of them that some of you mentioned already, there was a study recently done and identified four big reasons for people not coming back into the workforce. Um, one is that people, some of them have just decided to retire early. The stock market did really well. Um, and they felt like they had to work five or six years, but they, you know, now with the stock market, they could, being so high, they could pull out their savings and afford to retire early. So there was a stock segment of the population that did that. Um, there was a good segment of the population that, um, you know, felt like, okay, I have, um, I have enough to live comfortably. I have less expenses. I can manage to cook more at home and be more with my children and manage some of those expenses and maybe do some, you know, things that I'm really passionate about. Maybe you had a hobby to make banana bread and you were able to kind of explore that through the pandemic and sell it and make enough with lower expenses. Um, And then there was a population that has just aged, right? And that's a demographic shift that Mm -hmm. normally happens. Um, And it's filled by the younger people coming into the workforce. It's your teenagers, high schoolers, college students that are coming in, and they haven't come back at the same rate into the workforce um, than uh, previously, just because maybe they've not had expenses. I have a 16-year-old at home, and um, he's like, well, through the pandemic, there wasn't really friends to go out with or Mm -hmm. do things with, so really didn't need that pocket money, so hasn't come back into sort of the workforce. But his pocket money, was that your money, or was that his, did he have a, a job? So he did not he did not need to have a job because he, there were no friends to go out with through the pandemic. So now I see his friends sort of getting jobs and going out and doing some of, um, you know, the filling up some of the jobs in the fast food restaurants and stuff. And obviously the easing of the uh, child credit um, at, will help as well for people to come back in. We asked a question in our survey. We asked folks, does your financial situation allow you to plan for your future or the futures of those in your household? And some of the answers we received was, no, I can't even think about retirement. I'll probably work until I die. Someone wrote, no, not at all. I make just enough to get by. And someone said, I set aside a meager amount from every paycheck at 68. If I retire today, I could live for two years and five months. I'll have to work until I die, I guess. But since I'm able, I guess that's okay. Wow. What do you make of that? Wow. Yeah, those are... Um touching comments um Mm. and um you know it's i don't know what to say rose you know it's just um it's you know the pandemic has i suppose an unprecedented time and really it's it's hurt people that were already um in a vulnerable position 
um, from a wealth equity standpoint, has hurt them much more. Um, and uh, the tax credits and all that came in were not supportive. Let me get your thoughts on this as we begin to wrap up, because, Professor, if we still obviously we're in the inflation and if folks still are having to make tough decisions in terms of their consumer spending and habits, that does not help in inflation in a sense. Right. So where's the balance here? What needs to happen? So uh, the Fed, you know, a couple of weeks ago had signaled that they will be increasing interest rates. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that the, the money supply will be um, the money won't be as cheap anymore, you know, so um, a house that you could pay 20% more on, now the mortgage is going to be more expensive, so you cannot afford uh, that much of a house. Um, so that, you know, hopefully that will control some of the inflationary spending. Uh, unfortunately, you know, what's happening with with the situation in UK, Ukraine and Russia has, you know, risen the oil prices, which also will put some of the brakes on the inflation um you know and, and control some of the economy there um but in the meantime you know it's a big economy so it's going to take some time mm-hmm. uh, all these changes that happen don't overnight change the situation right mm-hmm. um i was talking to several business owners um in the last few weeks and they are seeing like 10 to 10 percent to 50 percent costs go up for their raw materials at some point they're going to pass it along to the consumers mm-hmm. um so some of these changes are going to take some time in the meantime um what should what should a consumer do um you know postponing some of that discretionary spending um would be one of the things budgeting uh you know making much more conscious decisions on purchases um and where you're spending, if you're going to do a trip on spring break, maybe shop uh, in, in a state where the gas, um, you know, fill up at a state where the gas prices are lower. Um, and just be more conscious of where you're spending your money. I just feel like when I keep a tab of um, where I'm spending the money, it automatically makes me more conscious of sure. it and I have more savings, right? Versus. Uh, swiping the credit card or having a bunch of cash and then I don't know how I've spent it. Yeah, of course, the problem is for so many people, they don't even have that option because once the first paycheck hits, they've got to pay all the expenses and then they have very little to save. Dr. Solani Vistani is a professor of marketing at Emory University with a focus on pricing strategy and innovation, innovation management, as well as she researches how buyers consciously and subconsciously process price information. Dr. Fasani, we want to have you back. Good conversation. Thank for you for Thank being you, part Rose. of Thank you, You're part of my evening uh, commute. Um, so it's kind of surreal to be talking to you, but I'm excited and I'm happy to so, be here. So today when you're in on your evening commute and hopefully you won't be in, stuck in traffic, burning gas, Dr. Fasani, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be listening to yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate Take it. Care. Cultural continues here on 90.1 WABE. Amplifying Atlanta, I'm Rose Scott. Earlier today, a Ukrainian delegation arrived at the Belarus border for talks with Russian officials, though prospects looked uncertain at best. We now know those talks have ended. As to what will transpire after the discussion, discussion is a wait and see. Meanwhile, at the time of this broadcast, the Associated Press reports that fighting has slowed a little around the Ukrainian capital of Kiev today. Long lines formed outside supermarkets as residents were allowed out of bomb shelters and homes for the first time since a curfew was imposed on Saturday. It's a situation, no doubt, that Ukrainians all over the world are watching, including my next two guests. We have Natalia and we have Lilia. And Natalia is president of the Georgia chapter of the Ukrainian Congress Committee of America. And Lilia Malachuk is a partner at Bear Wilson Sharma, a law firm in Peachtree Corners. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I realize this is a difficult time for both of you, but um, Anilia, I'll start with you. Um, Where'd you grow up and and how long did you live in Ukraine? I was uh, born and raised in central parts of Ukraine, um, closer to Cherkasy, 
Um, I then spent a lot of years in Burundi, Africa, so I kind of travel between between both. But um, Ukraine is definitely home. Mm. Natalia, what about you? I born and raised in Western Ukraine, Ternopil. Um, however, after the college, I moved to Kiev, where I spent six years of my conscious professional life. Mm-hmm. Kiev is my second motherland mm-hmm. after Ternopil. And then, of course, America. Natalia, I'll stay with you. What are you hearing from, from folks that you know? Are you able to hear from them back in Ukraine? Uh, at this point, the conversation is very short. And the main question is, are you alive? Are you all right? And just very short answers like, yes, I am. And then when I send the next question, I don't have an answer. At this point, it's just the matter of knowing that these people are alive. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I do have some some other people share more information. Some people know, um, yes, very difficult. They are hiding. They don't have enough of produce. Hmm. They live in a fear every day and everyone tries to stay safe as much as they can. They live in the subways, in shelters, basements, or they just try to live in some, they just try to go to the places that is that are far away from the infrastructure. However, it's very hard at this point because KU is practically surrounded. Mm. Lilia, what about you? Who have you been able to speak to and what are you hearing? Um, I spoke to several friends of mine. I am fortunate enough to have my parents here. Um, so at least I know that they are with me and um, definitely helps. However, um, all of the rest of my family and friends are also, uh, you know, in the central part, western part of Ukraine, and um, it's really the same thing. You just you send them a message um, and you wait, uh, you wait for them to respond, and they respond, you know, when when they can. Um, and it's it's hard to be here to see everything that is going on and um, feeling very helpless um, because we we don't know how to help we we do everything we can financially um, but we don't we don't know we we honestly don't know what to do more to end this Lily I'll stay with you to start this next question because when you hear that the sanctions that are being levied against Russia and the promised help in terms of military is that gives you a little bit more optimism at this point that this will end soon? Uh, yes and no. Um, it definitely helps. Uh, sanctions help to some extent. Uh, but yet again, you know, those sanctions will have an effect on Russian people, not on Putin himself. Um, and he is the machine that needs to be stopped. Um, and those sanctions will not stop him. Um, I had an interview the first day uh, of the war, and you know I mentioned it the first day, and I stand by it. A military action has to be in place. A military action by a united international community uh, that needs to step in. Um, you know, before it's too late. For many, hearing that, it may mean then that could be what some will call a full-on escalating war, world war, because you have so many different nations and allies of Ukraine against Russia. You feel that is, that will be the way to stop Putin? Um, Definitely. I don't think that one country in particular has to take upon the responsibility um, to step in. We do have um, international organizations. We do have an international community that has to step in. You know, unfortunately, we do have many conflicts going on around the world where we just 
do nothing. Um, I hope that this madness will finally bring us together because um, we're all in this together and we need to do something about it, again, as an international community, not as just individual countries. Natalia, let me ask you that question first with the sanctions that have been levied. Is that enough? Does that give you some optimism? Um, I'm very consistent with Lilia. Sanctions are necessary. However, that cannot be our only weapon. The enemy we're dealing with does not does not care about sanctions because as Lila mentioned, only people will suffer and the goal in this war is something else. Um, we need to we need to defeat the enemy only with the same methods he is he is invading us. It's like the only it's like the language, the language of war and sanctions unfortunately are not enough. We need weapon. We need physical help. That's my opinion. You say I have because we historically we know what are we dealing with, because we know right. our history and historically we have to fight only with actions. So, you agree right. with a heavy military force? Yes. Do, yes. Lilia, you want to That's add That's the something? methods. That's the language with this enemy. That's, that unfortunately, this is this is the way the enemy thinks, the enemy functions, though there are no other ways. Lilia, you right. want to add something? Um, yes, I definitely you know, agree with Natalia. Um, I also would like to see presence of some uh, international organizations um, on the ground, such as International Red Cross. I don't understand why it hasn't been done yet. Uh, people are running out of water, people are running out of food, um, not even mentioning the um, all of the dead bodies of Russian soldiers uh, that nobody's claiming. Mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, Ukrainian government made a request to the International Cross um, on Saturday to um, start a procedure so they can take those bodies back to Russia. Um, it's Monday. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, but the war does not have weekends. Mm -hmm. Things need to be moving quickly. Um, so there is this aspect of also that can bring uh, very bad health and sanitary issues, obviously. Um, so it just, it feels like things are done in slow motion. And we are in, you know, 2022. Things need, can and need to be done a little bit faster than that. Lilia and Natalia, I have a listener who wanted to know if you all have family still back in Ukraine, and I imagine that you do. Lilia, you have family back in Ukraine? I do. I have cousins. I have uncle and aunt, and obviously all all a friend of mine. Yes. Have you lost anyone that you know, that you know of? Um, thank goodness, no. Natalia, what about you? Um every every member of my family is back in ukraine i have a cousin in california uh it's too far but uh, all of my family my parents my sister her children her husband all my aunts cousins my only grandmother she 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 was in such a shock that she couldn't speak for a while and and then she had a heart attack during during the uh fire attack mm -hmm she she can't handle this and um haven't lost anyone thank god however uh, my heart is broken for my grandmother that cannot understand after surviving everything she's been through in 2022 it's unbelievable to go through th things like that you know to survive the starvation survive war and and now this in 21st century it's unbelievable. So she's suffering mentally. She had a heart attack. But um, yes, everyone, everyone I from my family is back home. How have you all here in the Atlanta area, the Ukrainian community, how have you all, you're coming together? And I imagine that helps a little. Maybe, maybe oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. If not, that's that's probably the main thing we could recommend 
to stay together and support each other because through this conversations, we share the pain and we feel, we feel like family. Um, just little advice helps or nice word or just sharing the pain of losing the city, losing seeing bombarding your house that you grew up in, sharing this pain makes us feel much better. So we definitely stay united. Vilia, I'll give you the last word on that. Yes, it's um, it helps to um, come together, you know, give each other a hug, cry, um, talk it over. Um, you don't feel isolated, uh, I think, as much as Ukrainians feel right now. Um, so, yeah, staying together um, is definitely helpful. And we'll have a link on our website to your organizations and to the groups you all are working with. Natalia, Lilia, yes. thank, th- thank you yes, so thank much. You. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, um, Rosica, if I can um, say something, I really would like um, for everyone to realize that we need to put as much pressure as we possibly can um, on the current administration to at least issue the TPS for Ukrainians. It's a temporary protected status. It will help Ukrainians who are currently in the United States, uh, who are you know, facing possible deportation or may stay with no legal immigration status, to receive documents and wait while this war is going on. Um, I'm again at loss, I'm not really sure why, again, this was not put in place yet, uh, but is crucial. There are, you know, people who are here on tourist visas, they're here for students. Uh, there is a lot of people who are waiting for asylums who possibly, you know, face deportation. So the TPS is crucial right now um, in this country for people who are here um, and are stuck, who cannot go back home. All right, and that's, uh, a, that's probably a conversation we need to have on this program. Natalia and Lilia, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. Our senior producer is Sam Whitehead. Our other producers are Janine Etter, LaShawn Hudson, and Daniel Razel. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of the day's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So uh, subscribe to wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org slash election 2024.